Hello everyone. It's been a little bit since we've had one of these Ecclesiastes um, session summaries um, because I was out of town a few weeks ago and uh, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground today. We're actually going to do two full chapters. We're going to cover the material that we looked at on Wednesday night, February 12th, 1st, and then we'll take a look at the material we looked through just last week, which was February 26th. So I'm going to do this quite quickly just because um, we've got quite a bit of content to cover. We're going to begin with Ecclesiastes 3. Um, the, the thought behind Ecclesiastes 3, the bottom line, I guess you would say, is the universe has a flow to it that is beyond any and all human control. So we're going to break this down into a couple of sections. Uh, why don't you take the time, pause this to read the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. Um, I'll give you just a second to do that. Um, hit pause, hit it back and we'll get back together. Okay, what you've just read is is uh, the author, the preacher, making good use of a technical, literary technical term um, and a practice. It's called marismus. And what a marismus was, it was something used in the ancient Near East in writing, and it was a statement of polar extremes as a way of embracing everything that lies between them. Uh, as examples of this, you got the height and the depth, you got the beautiful and the ugly, um, but that doesn't just say the, the opposites, it says what lies in in between those as well. So what we have here in the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3 is 14 pairs, multiples of seven. Um, and what we find there is, is basically what our preacher is going to do is he's going to cover all different aspects of life um, by showing us these these polar extremes or these opposites. Um, now, as you look through those, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail of them. It seems that written in between the lines in these, more than, than just face value when you read it, is it seems like uh, the preacher is, is talking in the background about wealth and the accumulation of wealth in life. Even in some that don't look necessarily quite like that, that's kind of what lies in the background of it. Probably most importantly, it's this. The, the details of these um, opposites aren't really the point. Um, this is, is showing us something about life in general, and, uh, because not everybody's going to go to war you know, um, I mean, literally go to war, uh, there will be a lot of people who will do not do that, either in a time of peace or they're simply not a soldier. Um, this is basically, uh, the first eight verses is observation of life in the middle, um, because everyone in most of those situations is going to fall somewhere in the middle of those polar extremes. Okay, yeah, why don't you take a little bit of time and um, now take a look at verses 9 through 15. I'll give you a moment to do that. Press pause, read 9 through 15, and, and get back with us again. Okay, hopefully you've had a second to read um, those verses. And just a few things I want to highlight about those verses. Um, uh, of course, I'm, I'm looking at the New American Standard, so that's the frame of reference that I'm going to speak from. And in verse 11, it talks about, uses the term appropriate. Um, NIV might use the word beautiful. Um, I'm not sure about that. But um, what our author is getting at, the preacher, he's saying is, is it is beautifully fitting, um, the way God has put this together. And he's also set eternity in the heart of mankind. And basically what that's getting at, it's something they share with 
with God. God exists outside of time. He is eternal, but mankind is in, eternal as well. Um, but at this point in time, man is limited in um, in the scope of that eternity. But man realizes that he is limited in it, and that that really is, um, in some ways, a gift. Um, he gets in then to the importance of of having fear of God, and what that is getting at is 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 the uh, the 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 thought of of reverence or aw- the awesomeness of God that pl- puts us in a place of awe. Um, awesome is a word we probably overuse a little bit, um, but when we come and encounter God, um, the the reaction of part of mankind is always the same. Um, and it should be the same even when we aren't encountering him in such a powerful way because he's still around, is is having reverence or awe and, yes, fear on him and, and, and centering our lives on him. Um, Something there as he closes down this 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 particular section, it says that God seeks um, seeks the past, and what that is kind of a settling of accounts. God is uh, he understands what has taken place, and um, he will take care of this, uh, whether good or bad, for those who um, in their past. And this is a great transition for what comes next. And the next little section um, in the in the, the the judgment, the divine judge that God is, it's just about verses sixteen and seventeen. That's a great transition, that settling of accounts to what we'll go into next. Um, so take a look at verses sixteen and seventeen. I'll give you a moment to do that. Press pause. Okay, um, we're back again. The NIV um, replaces justice with right behavior um, in in this section, and that uh, we should replace the justice there with with right behavior. That'll help put your mindset where it needs to be with this passage. Um, and another good chunk of, of scripture for you to read that will help bring this home comes out of one of the prophets, Amos chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. I would encourage you to take a moment to, um, to press pause and read through that, and then kind of summarize this thought of God as the divine judge just for a moment. Okay, um, if you took the time to read Amos 5, that would be great. Um, listen to this. This is a pretty interesting quote. It should not be thought that God's inactivity in respect to wickedness signifies a concession of sovereignty to wickedness over the places in which it is found. In those very places, God will, at the right time, bring justice. In other words, he is the divine judge. And he's the, the judge part, then, and what's important about the divine part of that is because God is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He knows what takes place, and there will be payment um, for the injustices that take place in this world. Um, We can most definitely um, take comfort in that reality. Now, um, as we close down this chapter, verses 18 through 22, uh, this is kind of subtitled as, as death comes for us all. Why don't you take the time to read again verses 18 through 22. I'll give you just a moment. You press pause. Okay, uh, if you're back, hopefully you read that. Um, this section is somewhat similar to chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. The difference between these two passages is 12, chapter 2, verses 12 through 26 is, is highlighting the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish. Now it's highlighting the difference between the human and the animal. Um, 
verse 18, there's something that's pretty interesting about that. It signifies a gift of clarity is what it's referring to. It, it is a gift to know that we aren't in charge, that we, that we aren't gods. Um, there is one God. He is in charge. We are not him. There is a gift of being able to come to that conclusion, uh, and that will have its, its ramifications and its positive effects in life to be able to come to that realization that there is something much more powerful, someone much more powerful in charge. Um, in verses 19 through 20, you're going to see a word used a number of times. The New American Standard used five different times, and the word is all. In talking about um, the the similarities between animals and humans, and, and the similarity really boils down to this. The main one is both are going to die. And then you get to verse 21, and it, it's very... It kind of shakes you up just a little bit um, because the seemingly the author is just painting a picture of who knows what the end will be. Man, after he dies, will go up, which means man is eternal, um, that there, that death is not the end. Um, and beast, after death, goes to the earth, which basically means beast is not eternal. And um, and there there's a difference there. I wish he hadn't put who knows in there. But remember, our author here is, is speaking um, from a perspective of someone trying to find purpose in this world without God, just in this world alone. Um, so keep that in mind when you read that, and he will come to a vastly um, different conclusion than what verse 21 here paints as he comes to the end of this of, of Ecclesiastes before we're done. Um, Verse 22 basically comes down with comes down to this. To, to find peace is to, for us to find uh, that we need to be content with, um, with where we are and where we find ourselves in this life. There's a gift to knowing that we aren't God. There's someone else very much in charge, much more powerful, um, incredibly righteous, um, and we, again, aren't him. And to be content with where we are at in this life, um, the limitations that that includes, um, to be all right with those. And um, that is a very big secret to finding fulfillment um, and finding peace in this life. So that will wrap up um, chapter three very, very quickly. Now we'll take the time to, um, to take a look at chapter four. Now let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to give you a moment to read through this. We're going to break this down into a few sections as well. This is the, this is the, the passage we looked at um, last Wednesday, which was February 26. And first of all, why don't you take a look at, and I'll give you a moment to do it, verses 1 through 8 of Ecclesiastes 4. You press pause, I'll give you a second here um, to take a look at that. Okay, um, if you're back, what we're going to look at here um, in these first eight verses, we're going to break them down even just a little bit more. Verses one through three um, is what it describes is is basically in, in a pretty thorough way is is oppression that takes place in this world, and it's something that takes place to such a level that our author says it would be better uh, to not ever having 
having been to better to not have been born than to see what takes place in this world. So I thought it might be wise for us to kind of see the biblical um, definition um, of oppression. And this is kind of what it comes down to. Um, the biblical, biblical oppression is the seeking of profit or accumulating wealth without regard to other people. And it comes in a number of different forms in the Old Testament. Um, cheating, stealing, retaining property found, fraud, robbery, interest from loans, perpetrated, it is always perpetrated on the vulnerable. It is associated with violence and bloodshed. It is at its very core a denial of justice. And there's some passages of scripture. I'm not going to really give you the time right now. You press pause if you want, but I'll give them to you to give you some some examples of this right from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.13, Deuteronomy 24 verses 14 and 15, and Zechariah 7.10. Those all paint quite a picture of this this biblical um, oppression. Now, looking through that, we get down to verse 4, and verses 1 through 3 kind of talks about um, the position of those who are being oppressed, and in verse 4, we get the source of this oppression, why this takes place in this world, and and what we see is it takes place because of, well, the word that is used in, in the New American Standard is rivalry, but the NIV uses a word that would probably much kind of speak to us a little closer is is um, envy. Um, uh, Very much like the way Larry Osborne, a preacher out in California, and he kind of describes the American dream. Um, He does it tongue-in-cheek, of course, but he says, working hard to impress people we don't like. Um, and that, what that boils down to in a very real way is, is envy um, and wanting what others have and working to take that either from them or, or step on the heads of people, whether it be at work or just in life in general, so that we can get more. Uh, Proverbs speaks about um, this envy, and this would be a good one for you to look up if you want to take it again, take the time to do it. Proverbs 14.30 um, talks to us about um, the way of envy and how miserable that life can be. Well, um, as we see the misery that can be brought about because of envy, he gives us an example here in verses 5 and 6. He shows us the way of the fool and the the way of the envious oppressor and both of those ways are condemned the folding of the hands both hands is is describing the way of the fool the lazy one who won't even work won't do anything to provide for themselves and therefore they don't have anything to feed upon except for their own flesh and then on the other side you've got the envious oppressor who's working so hard with both hands they they're stepping on whoever they need to to get whatever they can hand done so they can be move up the ladder if you will the result of it is, though, they they never get what they're searching for. And our author says the the place to be is to have a single handful of work and a single handful of rest. Someone who realizes the importance of rest, of enjoying the labors of hard work, and not stepping all over people to accumulate things. Um, here's the here is the end result, though, of the envious oppressor. And um, what it amounts to is they end up being all alone. It literally means have no second person in verses 7 and 8. And this is the lonely result of verse 4. Because the life of envy is fundamentally anti-neighbor. 
Um, see, when there's oppression as a result of envy or rivalry, this is d obviously disastrous for those who are trampled by the one trying to accumulate, but it also, it's also pointless for the oh, quote-unquote upward mover up the ladder. Um, this is... This is there, there's nothing good that comes of this, and unfortunately, um, this was written three millenniums ago, but envy still rules um, in our world. Um, now, what are the picture that our, our, our author, our, the preacher, will paint for us next is an alternative vision to this in verses 9 through 12. And this is going to be something you'll probably recognize, pretty famous passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes. So I'll give you a moment, um, press pause and read verses 9 through 12. Okay, um, I hope you're back, and I hope you had a chance to read those. Now, um, verses 9 through 12, we're just going to boil this down to this. Um, whether you have someone who is living as a lone ranger, you know, doing everything they can to, um, to, to basically get what they can out of life, uh, again, not really caring upon who they trample upon, um, this is the deal. Uh, they're alone. Now, on the opposite side of this, you have someone who sees the value of others, who sees the value of community. Now, for both of these people, they will um, encounter trouble in this life. But here is the difference. Those in community have help. When they fall, they have someone to help pick them up. When they're cold, they have someone to help them keep warm. When they face opposition, um, they have someone to help them face that opposition, especially when that opposition is strong. Um, so there is great value in traveling through life with others, with a companion. Um, now, on the other side of that, the solitary traveler will not be slowed by the weak, and that traveler is not required to share what he finds, but he's going to have to dig himself out when he gets when he falls down, when he falls in a hole. He's going to have to shiver in the cold, and he's going to have to fight all his battles alone. And in the end, all of this is for nothing, because we've already seen the end result for um, the solitary traveler stepping all over everyone in order to get ahead. There is no value um, in, in the in the wholeness of life in that. They get to the end and like, why in the world did I do this? Um, so, as, as painting a picture, our author will do for us next, verses 13 through 16, we'll kind of paint a picture of this in, in, a, in terms that he can understand, since, since, you know, we believe he was a king, um, King Solomon. Well, he paints a picture, um, and this isn't in real life picture, just because it's pretty obvious, two poor kings coming from um, destitution to rise to the throne in a row is not something that's probably going to take place in, in real life. But at the same time, um, being a king is kind of the pinnacle of, of human uh, human success. So that's the example that he's going to use. So take a moment. Um, if you're completely lost now, you'll understand a little bit more when you read verses 13 through 16. So, so do that. I'll give you a moment. Press pause. Okay, basically what we have here, and it's a little confusing when you look at it, but I'm just going to break it down a little bit. What this is 
picture this is painting is this. There's not one, but there is two kings. Um, the first king was wise when he was younger, but he lost his perspective with age and with, with comfort and with power. Um, and he is going to be replaced by another king who also was a poor, wise youth who was very much overwhelmed by his royal responsibility and after he was gone, he was quickly ridiculed, and shortly after, he was forgotten. Um, and kind of the picture that this paints for us, even though it's probably not a situation where we're dealing with, uh, with oh goodness, with kingships, you know, I don't think very many of us are going to rise to being a king in our society, but we do seek advancement many times in lives, and this is something we need to understand. Advancement can bring with it the loss of self. More work, and in the end, less thanks for it, especially if we isolate ourselves in the way we treat others um, in the search for uh, search for accumulation, not only of wealth, but search for uh, this contentment, trying to find it through power and through wealth, and it's never going to be found in that way. And overall, the strongest point to be made in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes is this. It is wise for us to choose community over the path of envy. Um, there is nothing good that comes from being envious. There just is not. Um all right, so our next time that we're going to be together is March 4th, and that's tomorrow night. We're going to be taking a look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So I hope very much that you can join us. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today.